Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Rallon's Rant. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Adam Schaefer. Adam is one of the three hosts of Mind Pump podcast, which is a personal favorite of mine. And Adam, who has also been a trainer for over 15 years and was also an IFBB men's physique pro, has been working extensively and intensely in the fitness industry for obviously a large amount of time. So Adam, thanks a million for taking time out to come on and chat. And first and foremost, how are you keeping? Good, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. Excited to get this conversation going and uh, appreciate you having me on. No problem. Well, listen, uh, the feeling's mutual. Happy to have you. How I normally start these podcasts, traditionally speaking, is I would have a quick run through as to your childhood, the life experiences and stuff like that. But, you know, you've talked about that a lot in other podcasts you've been on, even Mind Pump as well. You've touched a bit on it as well. So I don't want to kind of cover ground that has already been covered. But like looking through your your life today, obviously your upbringing was very tough by all accounts. And, you know, clearly that would have given you long lasting life lessons. But one thing I was intrigued about was did any of like the hardships you had during your youth provide you with valuable life lessons that help you today in your job or even your your personal life? Oh, man, I think um, I think all of them did. I think, though, for my first, I don't know, 15 years, maybe even 20 years, though, uh, it didn't, I didn't see it. You know, I think, uh, as a young, a young man that, uh, had an upbringing like I did. So, you know, there was abuse. My father committed suicide when I was seven. So, you know, a lot of stuff happened early on in my life, all the way through my teenage years. Um, you know, when you're young and you, you don't have a lot of experience and wisdom, you don't realize how valuable some of that stuff really is in the moment. Uh, you feel sorry for yourself. You ask why me, uh, maybe even have some resentment and animosity toward your parents. Uh, that was me a lot, you know, in my early teens and even my early 20s. So much of my, my motivation uh, to be successful or to not be like my parents, uh, you know, I, I was thriving off of that, right? I had a chip on my shoulder and I, I didn't want to be like them. Now, fast forward into my mid to late 20s and starting to approach my 30s, I began to look at it differently, you know, as, as I had quite a bit of success, even in my twenties, when I first got into fitness, I did really well. I started to realize the, the attributes that I had that made me successful are really things that I got as a gift from going through all the shit that I went through when I was younger. Uh, you know, it forced me to, to grow up pretty fast and I had responsibility at an early age. I was the oldest of five, taught me leadership, uh, taught me resiliency, um, and so when I got out into the real world and had to face normal adulthood problems, to be honest, a lot of that stuff seemed so tiny in comparison to what I went through as, as a child and went through in my, in my early teens. So I didn't really appreciate that until I got older, as I started to get into my thirties and now approaching my forties, uh, I started to realize like, wow, you know, all those things that I had went through. Um, it really accelerated my growth as a person and it really benefited me in business and in life. And so I have a whole different attitude and way of looking at it today. Um, when people ask me uh, about my childhood, I, I say I would never change anything about it. You know, as tumultuous as it may sound, I honestly think that if I hadn't done all that or gone through all that, uh, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. No and well said, Adam. And you touched on it briefly there that maybe during your 20s when you really kind of gave fitness a a real go. I've had musicians, I've had actors, all type of people who maybe had tough childhoods that they needed to find an escape, whether it was after college, during their childhood. Did fitness provide that like nearly distraction or escape for you? Or was it something that, as you said, came in your late 20s when those tough days and tough experiences were behind you? No, no. I think that's, I think that's a great, a great question uh, and a great analysis of probably what was going on. Right. I think that, I think a combination of both fitness and then also making money. Right. So a lot of my insecurities and fears of childhood, we, we, we came from a very poor family and, and I moved around in nine different homes growing up. Uh, you know, basically we bounced from house to house, you know, getting evicted from one to the other or not being able to pay the rent or finding a place where our parents had a job. And so a lot of 
my motivation in my early 20s was to work and to make money. Uh, and then I happened to fall into fitness. You know, fitness was just by chance I ended up falling in love with it. It's not like I had this huge desire to be a personal trainer when I was really young or aspired to be a bodybuilder. Or, yeah, I wasn't that, I wasn't that fat. My, my co-host Sal was more fascinated with working out in fitness when he was even younger. Mm-hmm. I really was more motivated to be successful. And by chance, I kind of fell into this job as a personal trainer and really, really loved it. So I loved what I did. I loved the idea of improving myself and building my body. And of course I was a skinny and secure kid. So learning how to change that empowered me and gave me something to really dive into. So, yeah, I think what you said is, is right. I think that it did allow me to distract myself from working all the things that I was going through in my childhood and go, okay, I'm going to bury myself into improving my body and physique and being successful in this job that I now have at 20 years old. And so, yeah, my mid early all the way to mid 20s, a lot of the success was just that from the tenacity and putting my head down and, and staying focused on that. It wasn't until I started to get into reading a lot more and towards my late 20s that I start to really start to get more introspective and start working on myself. And, okay, that's great and all that I, I've been driven uh, by all these things. But it's also something I think that is, uh, you know, I always say your greatest strength is your greatest weakness. And sometimes when we have stuff like that, it, it may empower us and drive us initially, but it also can be crippling for you. If I'm not dealing with the root cause or insecurities that I have from childhood and I'm allowing them to motivate me towards success, I'm not technically working on those things. I'm just using that to fuel fuel my fire, right? And I think there's some power to that and I think it's valuable but I also think it could be dangerous, too, if you don't ever address what's going on, right? So it took me till my late 20s before I kind of saw that, right? And as you were saying, and as anyone can look up, like one of the main bodies of work you've done with, say, your fitness career, like I know you alluded to the fact that you are a trainer, but you also competed in physique pro type of work. So with that, I know you were referring to that as an escape or maybe a distraction which I, I completely get and I can even relate to on a certain degree. But like, was that seen at the time as a, a viable option? Because, uh, like- no. so competing, so the competing time, right. That happens at 30 years old, right? So I'm in a very different place in my life by this time, by the time I'm 30, um, I've worked a lot on my insecurities. I'm pretty self-aware. I'm a little more red than I ever was. Um, actually that was like the, the business side of me, right? I saw, I had the foresight to know, that if I'm going to go build this social media business, right? So at 30 years old, I make a transition from medical marijuana, right? So I, I left mm-hmm. fitness. I took about a four-year hiatus to pursue medical cannabis uh, in the States. Um, at that time, it was really just starting to take off. I saw the writing on the wall. I saw I had an opportunity to start up two of the first clubs in the Bay Area, um, and I, I purely took that off of my, again, my passion and drive to be financially successful. And I had a lot of success, but I also fell out of love with uh, what I was doing. I did not like uh, the medical marijuana field. I mean, I liked it for monetary reasons, but I didn't like uh, the people I was working with. I didn't get the same gratification that I did when I was in fitness. Um, And it was also very important that I I got there, right? Because I, I reached this number that I had in my head as a kid, like I needed to make X of dollars to, to be happy. Right. Mm. And I was completely wrong. I mean, I got to that place where my pockets were deeper than they had ever been in my life. But when I looked around at my life, you know, sure it was filled with, you know, tangible things and, uh, you know, goods and playing and going to Vegas and stuff like that. But when I looked at my relationships, um, uh, you know, I just, I just lost a girlfriend at the time who cheated on me. First girl that ever did that. Um, I had lost two best friends of mine that we, we had a falling out. I wasn't in great communication with my, my family, my siblings. Um, I was in the worst shape of my life, uh, both mentally and physically. And I just had this kind of moment of, of checking in with myself that, wow, you know, I reached this place of financial success that I wanted so badly and realized that I was very unhappy. In fact, I was the unha- most unhappy in my life probably since I was a child, but yet I had all this money. And that was really what made me decide to go back into fitness. And I made that pivot 
with the idea and the intent of building an online presence to build an e-commerce business. Now, at that time, I can't say I had the foresight that it would look just like Mind Pump, but I knew mm. that there was opportunity in the Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, social media world. You know, at this time, it's really starting to come on the scene. You're starting to meet people that, you know, are young and have built large followings and are building businesses off of it, successful businesses. They're making the same kind of money or more money than I was making in marijuana, right? Selling drugs. They were doing this online with fitness. And so that intrigued me. And I knew if I was going to do that, that I had to have some sort of a hook or appeal to get people's attention, right? If I'm turning on Instagram uh, at 30 years old, you know, after it's already been around for a few years and nobody knows who I am, how the hell am I going to get the attention of, you know, thousands of people to potentially sell them, you know, something, right? At that yeah. time, I don't know exactly what it is. But I did know that I needed to I needed to show something. Well, what kind of worked in my favor was during that stint that I was doing medical marijuana, I also got in the worst shape of my life. So for me, I'd always maintained like a pretty low body fat percentage. I was a personal trainer for most of my life so I, and, and, and an athlete before that. So I stayed in good shape uh, until then. And I got in bad shape for me. So at that, it was 30 years old. I was 20% body fat. And I thought, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to document my transformation. And I knew that I couldn't just like get kind of in shape. I knew that if I was going to impress strangers and people that didn't know me, I was going to have to show them that I, I did something really impressive. So I set a goal for myself that I was going to go from the worst shape of my life at 20% body fat to the best shape of my life. Now, up until this point, even as a personal trainer, I had never seen sub, you know, eight or 9% body fat. It's probably the leanest I'd ever been. And so the goal was to get leaner. The goal was, can I build a physique uh, sub 8% body fat, and I'm going to document that, show that. And I announced it uh, to the world, or at that time, you know, a few few people that were paying attention to me. Uh, and I started to document the journey. So what happened was I started to get a lot of traction because I, I had great results, right? I was, I was changing my physique week over week, and I was sharing with my small community of people that were paying attention to me what I was doing. I was also countering a lot of myths that were out there. So what I saw when I got into the space at 30, I saw a lot of really popular kids in their 20s that were good looking, had great bodies, but the science and the information that they were providing around nutrition and exercise was really poor. And I go, oh, wow, there's a huge opportunity for me to present counter knowledge here or counter information to what's being presented on this platform and then show people how I do it. And so that's kind of what gave me the first initial traction that built the first following that uh, I had. So I had about 10,000 or so followers that I built on Instagram by showing my transformation over about a year from going from 20% all the way down to 7%. And I did like the whole thing. I showed everybody, I went and did a, a hydrostatic way, which is just a, a uh, underwater method of measuring body fat. It's one of the most accurate ways you can do it. It's a non-biased somebody else is doing it so people would know that i'm not fluffing the numbers and then i documented pictures every single week all the way to the end and at the end i went and dunked and measured and i came down to seven percent body fat well that got me so much traction and attention uh and people starting to dm me and ask me questions and would you coach me that I actually started like, a, okay, I'm gonna while I'm building this e-commerce business to supplement some income, I'll start to coach people online uh, while I continue to build. Um, and while I was doing that, I was like, well, if that got me that much traction, what if I take it to the next level? And what if I get on stage and I do it all by myself? I don't hire a coach. I don't get somebody to help me with nutrition. I don't do. I don't get on a team. I'm gonna do it all by myself. And, and show that I could go compete with the elite physiques in the world on stage. I knew I didn't have the body type for bodybuilding. I, I'm a six foot three lanky basketball player. So I knew I'd get my ass kicked if I tried to be a bodybuilder. But I knew I could yeah. compete in the category of men's physique. Men's physique is a, a much more realistic, obtainable physique for me. Um, so I was like, okay, I could go do this and I'll document it. So my intentions of doing that 
were purely business motivated. I had I had no desire to compete. In fact, I didn't even follow that world whatsoever. Um, I did not like posing. But what I did get a kick out of was, you know, when you look at competitors on stage, you're talking about the 1% of the 1%. You know, these are yeah. the most elite bodies in the world to do that. And so it would put me in a very small category of people that have accomplished that. And I had a feeling that based off of what I documented on my Instagram, that if I did this and I had any sort of success with it, that this would really gain the attention of a lot of people. So I began to do that. And while I was competing and getting into the sport, I was also communicating with Sal via Facebook. We had mutual friends. We knew of each other. Uh, uh, had a lot of respect. The people that we knew that we had mutual friends with said, spoke very highly of him. Same thing for him about me. And so we always had this, you know, mutual friends that were telling us we needed to get together. And we actually finally connected on Facebook, ironically, about marijuana. That was the topic we were originally <laughs> discussing because at that time, Sal was doing research for uh on medical marijuana in regards to his mother-in-law his mother-in-law was dying of cancer at that time and there was a lot of research coming around cbd and the benefits of it for cancer patients so he was researching heavily about marijuana and i still had my hands in in cannabis and so we were discussing that via facebook and that's how our relationship really started and when i told him what i was building and what i was doing he says, oh, man, that's so crazy because my buddy Doug and I are thinking about putting a, a, a digital program online and selling it. And that was MAPS Anabolic at the time, so our very first program. And Sal reached back out to me one day and he goes, hey, could you take a look at this? As Doug and I have put together this program. Um, I respect your opinion. I'd like to hear what you have to say about it. And so he sent it over to me. And I was so impressed with not only the programming, uh, but also the, the the pitch on it. Like it was really counter to what you were seeing out there in the space right now. And it was exactly what I was finding out. I was looking at all the recommendations uh, that, that trainers were giving online. And it was very much so the hype and motivation and intensity-based type of programming. And what I had learned over my two decades of training clients was that's not what appeals to most people. That's not what helps most people. Mm. The average person that I train, you know, you'd be lucky to get them to commit to one to three days a week consistently forever. I mean, I could train anybody for six months every day of the week for six months, but then they fall off. And the idea of being a successful coach or a trainer is implementing lifestyle changes in your client so that they forever have success and they're forever healthier than what they were when they first met you. And this whole no days off, beast mode, kill it type of mentality that's promoted on social media is really not the answer. And I, I had learned that already. And when I saw what Sal was promoting and what he was talking about, it was exactly what I had come to realize after, you know, at this time of decade and a half of, of training clients that this is the message that people need to hear uh, and I said, dude, we got to get together. I said, uh, why don't you bring Doug down to my house? I want you to meet my friend, Justin, who at that time we were building an app together. I said, let's all get together and let's just, let's just talk about what we all have plans for business wise. And let's just see if there's any synergy there. And that really is the origin story of mind pump and how it all happened like that. And then the competing thing for me, it was very short lived after that, you know, because I was already now uh, working my way up to the national level. I went to USA's, uh, won there and went pro and Mind Pump uh, started taking off. And once Mind Pump uh, outgrew me and my social media, in fact, I used to have a different handle before Mind Pump existed. My handle was uh, we love to hate Adam. It was based off of my original <laughs> boot camp business, right? It was just a play on words that people thought were funny that I used to tease my clients that you love to hate me, right? Love me today or hate me today, love me tomorrow. And so once Mind Pump actually outgrew my personal brand, I changed my handle over to Mind Pump Adam. So did Sal and Doug and Justin. 
and we began completely focusing on scaling mind pump. But that's really where the competing came from. Like, and I couldn't, to be honest with you, secretly, I, I couldn't wait to be done bodybuilding. I just, it's such an extreme sport that uh, and it's, it's fucking hard, man. It's hard. It takes a lot of consistency and discipline and sacrifice. And I was in it for a solid like three years and so I couldn't wait to get out of it. Uh, I really couldn't. Uh, but I, it was very uh, instrumental to the success of Mind Pump because it's what gave us that initial, you know, audience of people that would listen to the show and hopefully share it with their friends and family. So if it wasn't for that, I don't know if Mind Pump would ever taken off. And even though I didn't know what Mind Pump was going to be, it was uh, it was always the plan. That was the whole idea behind competing. It was always about using it as a platform to build myself as an authority and then use that to then build an e-commerce business off of it. Yeah. One of the things that does stand out to me even about that, and like you, you mentioned it a few times where you were talking about how tough the physique training was. You were upset with how health and fitness was really being presented to the generation that was growing up in, during that time. And you've talked about this before on Mind Pump and other podcasts you've been in where you've talked about the difference between like training for growth and overall health rather than just trying to look good. Because I, like I can relate, I know loads of people who make no gains with their lifting, their conditioning is terrible, their mobility is really poor, Loads of other crucial aspects that are just not under control yet. When they go out on holiday to the average show, they look absolutely great because they're toned and not overweight. Because like my perspective when I write up a program is like the end goal I have is, you know, I, I don't really give a fuck if, if I gain weight or if my arms are a little less defined as long as I actually reach the end of that program I, and I reach the goals that I set out on that tells me, okay, that program is efficient. That program is the right one for me. Yes, you see someone who just goes off, goes on a crazy diet for a month, and then they consider that a healthy lifestyle and their type of fitness just because they look good. And just your take even on that, Adam, is like like what you see some of the dangers of training, you know, based on just purely looks compared to overall health, strength, and functionality. Because as you said, you've really seen both sides of the coin. Yeah, there's lot there's lots of pitfalls that come with that. You know, first of all, um, you can have an extremely aesthetic physique, um, even at the highest level, right? Let's say magazine cover, bodybuilder, bikini competitor, and be actually really unhealthy. In fact, that was one of the most alarming things that I found about competing and meeting all these competitors. Up until that point, I really had no no clue about the world. I really didn't. And in fact, I was really excited to get into competing because I thought, okay, if these are the most elite physiques, these are probably going to be some of the healthiest, smartest uh, people around nutrition and exercise science. And I was excited to go learn. You know, I, I, I knew I, I had my I had my experience, my knowledge, all the certifications that I had acquired over the years. And, you know, I, I felt relatively confident in my own abilities, at least enough to get up there and compete with these guys. But I was really yeah. excited to potentially learn. And I was shocked to find out it was the uh, total opposite. Um, in fact, very, very few of them really, really knew what they were doing. Most all of them all had coaches uh, that were telling them what to do, what they all were extremely good at. Um, and, and was extremely impressive was their level of discipline and, and sacrifice. They had the ability to, if you told me to eat chicken breasts and asparagus for, you know, 90 days straight, they could do it. You know, if you told me to get up at five o'clock in the morning and do an hour of cardio uh, before I start my day, they could do it. I mean, that was the most impressive thing about athletes. But the reality of that is like, that's a very unhealthy relationship with exercise and nutrition, especially yeah. for the average person. So when you chase aesthetics, there's a very good chance that you won't be healthy. In fact, there's a probably more a chance that you, you're, you're not going to be, ironically. But the neat part is if you chase health as a byproduct or a side effect, you more than likely will look good. 
if you're a really, really healthy person, right, you, you really care about your mobility, you really care about your food choices, you really care about staying active and moving, you really care about your relationships, your mental health, your spiritual health, all these things encompass health. And if you're a, a very well-rounded, healthy person in all those other aspects that I'm talking about, I bet you look really good too. But the opposite isn't true. If you look amazing, you could have all those things out of whack. You could have very poor relationships with your, your family and friends. You could have very poor mental health. You can have incredibly bad relationships with food. You can have a terrible relationship with exercise, but then have a body that looks uh, magazine worthy. And so that's the danger and the pitfall of a chasing aesthetics and going after it. Now, does that mean I'm shaming people that want to compete? No, no. I think you. I think you. There's nothing wrong with setting a goal for yourself, especially something that lofty. Um, and there's a lot to learn about your own body and metabolism working towards a goal like that. But I do think that it's a very dangerous place for the average person because the average person is still kind of learning uh, all the aspects of health, as I was too. I mean, I was a, somebody in the field and it took me a, quite a while before I pieced this all together. You know, many of uh, my first years of training were centered around looking a certain way. And that's all I cared about, you know, and, and this is what led me down the path of anabolic steroids and taking every supplement under the sun and, you know, training ridiculously, like, because I was so driven by the end result of what my body looked like, but not really thinking about health first. And so, yeah, if you, if you are focused on aesthetics, it's, not that it's wrong, but it definitely comes with a lot of potential pitfalls. And the average person who's trying to get in shape, it's a terrible place for most of those people to start. Yeah. Like, I appreciate the honesty there, just even about like the, the pros and cons. And I, I do think, especially when we talk about magazine covers and the top 1%, Visually, anyway, I'm not saying behind the scenes they're the top 1%, but you said it there that supplements, steroids, etc. play such a big role. And I even know personally people who aren't competing, but they probably got in poor shape, but they were like, okay, well, if I go on a cycle of steroids, that's just going to give me a quick boost. And then suddenly I'm going to have a great beach body. And then you know what happens after six months of taking the steroids when you stop? You get fat as shit again, yeah. and then the cycle keeps repeating, and that's just at a low level. But, like, it's kind of always the elephant in the room. Some people are outspoken about it. Others aren't. Like, how damaging did, did you find? It doesn't have to be based off personal experience, but steroids within the fitness industry, do you feel they're, they're a really damaging aspect, or do you definitely think there's a place for it? Yeah, I mean, I I think both, right? I think they can be damaging and I think there's a place for it. I mean, it serves a place for sure for me now. I mean, I have to be, I have to be on HRT to be fucking normal. Mm. Um, and I'm very open and transparent about my steroid use because I, I want to educate or help younger men that are considering doing that. So I, I experimented in my early twenties, uh, with steroids and really it was after I was a personal trainer and the mistake that I made was I really believed that that was the difference between me and the guys on magazines. So, you know, take me back or go back to when I'm 23 years old. I've been a personal trainer for a few years. I've got some certifications under my belt. I've got some years of lifting under my belt. Um, I think I know what I'm doing pretty well. And I look at the way I look. And then I look at these magazine covers and what I thought was, well, that's because they're on steroids. And I, uh, and if I took steroids, I would look this way too. And I couldn't have been more wrong. Uh, and I had to find, I found out the hard way, you know? So at one point I, I gave into that temptation of, okay, I want to look this way so bad. I'm going to take these and let's see what happens. And it actually was, uh, I had a terrible response to the steroids. I did not, look much better. I looked a little bit better, but not much better. I saw strength go up in the gym, but what I was really trying to obtain by taking them was I thought I was going to pack on, you know, 20 pounds of muscle. Like everybody says you can taking steroids. And I didn't, I didn't look that way. I didn't look that way at all. And like you alluded to, 
you know, six months later, after you come off a cycle, you go right back to looking like you look like before. And, you know, and then I even fell down, fell into the trap of, oh, it was the wrong steroids. You know, I needed to take these steroids and add this to it and do that to it. So I went down this rabbit hole for, you know, several years in my 20s, trying out all these different steroids, thinking that that was the answer. And the truth was, I really was not there with diet and exercise yet. Even with my background, I still didn't fully grasp in concept uh, the importance of nutrition and program design and what a different and consistency, right? Like how important uh, that is to see these these results that that get somebody on the cover of a magazine. And so to me, that was the biggest mistake I ever made was thinking that they were the answer or that was really the difference between my average looking body and these covers of magazines. And that couldn't have been further further than the truth. So after I I dabbled in it for years, um, you know, I've learned that, okay, these aren't the answer. So then I didn't take them for a while. And it was in my late 20s when I really started to notice like this massive like dip in my libido. And I was like, man, I shouldn't I shouldn't feel like this in my 20s, man. This is yeah. weird. And I went and got my blood work done and found out that my testosterone levels uh, were below 300, you know, and you average should be somewhere between 400 and 1100. Uh, and somebody my age and healthy and into fitness, you would think would be somewhere between six and 800 minimum. And so it drastically changed my, my hormone profile. And I, that was when I began to take uh, HRT. So in my early 30s and when I first got into competing, I was taking replacement hormone, hormone replacement therapy because of the steroids that I've used earlier. And so and here I am now almost 40 years old and forever will have to probably be on TRT just to have normal testosterone levels, not to feel superhuman not to build an amazing physique, but just to feel normal. And that's the dangers of anabolic steroids is exactly that, is that if once you decide to go down that path, you forever can change your hormones and you may never get back to what, you know, quote unquote, is normal for your body. And so it's a major decision that you have to make that if you're somebody who's considering messing with something like that, you may be signing up for it for the rest of your life. Now, I was kind of a crazy kid and had that attitude of, you know, fuck it, whatever. And so I, I went down that path. But I caution anybody else that's considering dabbling in it that you may be signing up for that forever. Now, that being said, there's also the other side of this coin, right? We're talking about somebody like me as a kid who uh, was using it recreationally and uh, abused it and didn't need it. You know, we have something going on right now in the world that's really interesting. In fact, there was just a study that came out to show how, how much uh, testosterone is declining in men today. It's rapidly declining. And we now are seeing cases of, of young boys in their 20s with erectile dysfunction. And there's lots of theories around that of us being because of being on tech all the time, not getting enough sunlight the xenoestrogens that are in plastic and things like that. Uh, you know, the truth is I think it's a combination of all of those things. And what it's doing is it's, it's reducing testosterone in men uh, dramatically. And so, you know, there's a place where hormone therapy is incredibly valuable and steroids are incredibly valuable. If, if they're needed and you use them to get to, to optimal levels, I mean, it'll change your mood, it'll change your sleep, it'll change your sex drive, it'll change the way you build muscle, the way you burn body fat, your attitude towards life. Your, I mean, there's a lot of good that can come from somebody who is who needs it and uses it that way. So I definitely don't have this attitude of steroids are all bad and, and they're, they're a, a hormone and a drug. And just like any other drug out there or hormone, they can be abused. Hmm. And when, when used improperly and abused, they can become dangerous. When used, you know, in a, an intelligent way and safely, they can be. Yeah. No, and I think it's 
definitely worth noticing or even understanding the fact that there is always that risk where you may reach the target you had, whether it was visually or underneath the bench press with the assistance of steroids. But, you know, once you go off it, you're going to dart back on and try do it again. And one thing I've I've noticed even even from listening to you here, but then also on, as I said, Mind Pump podcasts and stuff like that, like your outlook on training, you know, changes every couple of years, like what your outlooks are, what you see in clients, what you want out of it. And a big topic, no matter really what age you are and what your background is, whether it's bodybuilding, whether it's CrossFit, whether it's just marathon runners, like I've had some marathon runners on this podcast, CrossFitters, etc. But especially at your age where you're still massively into fitness and you still love to train, Like when it comes to, and I find this now, you know, getting into my late 20s, which might sound a bit disrespectful, all things considered, like I find my body reacting differently to how it did four or five years ago, where I could just pound out seven workouts a week and my body wouldn't give a crap. I'd even drink sometimes on the weekends and the hangovers wouldn't come. But I'd say your age and the journey you've been on, like how important is it now or like even do you have even slight regrets over like the importance of things like listening to your body, stretching, and even things like mobility work? Yeah. You know, it's funny is I, I think about this a lot, Rich. I think about if, you know, if at 40-year-old Adam went back and talked to 22-year-old Adam and, and told him all these, all this wisdom, right? Like, yeah. You should you should work on your mobility and you should eat this way and you should get rest and you should take your sleep seriously. <laughs> I, 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 I have to really ask myself, would I receive that message at that age? Because I kind of know who I was then, right? I was this young kid full of piss and vinegar. Matter of fact, <laughs> I used to say shit like sleep is overrated, you know, like, <laughs> you know, I'll sleep when I'm dead, you know, and. And I felt so invincible in my 20s because I didn't have chronic pain. I didn't have these mornings where I woke up and I felt sluggish because I didn't get a good night's rest or I didn't feel bloated and lethargic because I made a bad food choice. I mean, I felt like I could eat fast food. I could not sleep. I could drink rock stars all day long. I, I mean, and just pound the weights and so I know there's definitely a ton of people or kids that are listening right now that they're like, oh, fuck, here goes the old man talking about how important it is for me to stretch and do mm-hmm. mobility and all this stuff like that. But I guess the, the, the thing that you, you just got to pay attention when it starts to happen to not neglect it, right? Because <clears throat> it's really hard to convince a 22-year-old kid who feels none of that, right? Doesn't feel pain. Yeah doesn't have problems sleeping, like convincing him that, Hey, you need to incorporate a couple days of mobility or, Hey, you need to practice getting better sleep. Or like that kid's just going to tell you to fuck off. Like <laughs> he's, he's fine. I'm fine. Right. That's just, that's just how we all are. That's how we yeah. all, or not all, I should say that's an overgeneralization how most of us operate. Hmm. And so I totally understand that, you know, some young guy who's listening right now who doesn't suffer from any of those things is thinking like, I don't need to worry about that. But at one point you will, at one point, you do get older. At one point, the wear and tear on those joints and ligaments, you start to feel it. At one point, you beating up your gut by eating everything in sight and whatever you want and terrible sleepless nights and taking whatever you know, drug, partying, whatever you're doing. That stuff starts to, to change your microbiome, man, and it changes the chemistry inside of your body. And it does eventually catch up. It catches up to all of us. You know, Father time is undefeated. So eventually you do feel those. Now, some people may start to feel that, like you say, in their late 20s coming into 30s. Some people may make it all the way to 40 before that. Some people may make it to 50 or 60. That's just the individual variance. But some general principles and rules that I wish that I I would have paid attention to sooner would have been things like mobility training, rotational strength, right? Like that was one that kind of snuck up on me that I didn't realize I was a young athlete. And when you're a young athlete, you move in a lot of planes, left, right, rotating, transverse plane, explosive movements. And that's really, really healthy for the body to be able to do that stuff. And then, and everybody's different, right? But at one point you kind of stop doing a lot of that stuff. You stop playing basketball maybe because you get, you're in your late twenties. Now you're working all the time. You're not training maybe the same way like you were before. And the body, it, 
the body adapts to whatever you do. So if you stop doing something, it will prune it off. So if you stop being explosive, it's going to, it's going to say, I no longer need that attribute and you'll lose that attribute. If you say, I'm not going to rotate left or right pretty quick or up and down this direction. And you stop doing that for months and years then the body says, we don't need to be able to do that anymore. And the more things that you tell the body in your 20s that you don't need to do anymore, the more you're going to feel that when you get older and you decide, hey, today I'm going to go try and do this. Or or what ends up happening like to most of our clients, they're doing something really simple and basic like rotating back to their kid in the backseat of their car seat or you know the, the client who's bending over to pull a weed, right? And, and throws their back out. They do, they go to do a very simple movement, but because they lost the control, stability and strength in that plane or that movement, they end up hurting themselves. And so I, I would tell younger self that, you know, make sure when you start to see yourself, you know, stop playing and moving and, and focusing on all these attributes that you make time to start to incorporate them into your training. And then also the importance of, you know, rest and recovery and sleep and sleep is such a valuable, valuable asset that we all need to, to treat more respectfully, even at a younger age, when you think it doesn't matter because eventually again, that all catches up to you. And I really think the people that get that they'll, they'll age better, you know, you'll age so much better if you, you prioritize how you get ready for bed, the same way that you prioritize the way you start your day by showering and brushing your teeth and setting your intent for the day. Um, there's just not a lot of conversation around that for nighttime. And I think that those are the things that I would try and drill into 20 year old Adam's head. Question is, would I receive it? Yeah. <laughs> and the journey there from the 20 something year old who thinks he can squat and deadlift and bench as much as possible and he's never gonna get knee pain he's never gonna you know have hip pain he's never gonna have that moment where he's rolling over in bed and his lower back hurts him but like one of the questions that was asked and this is this is really probably a book length type question uh answer that would be required but if you could keep it as concise as possible a lot of the questions that were sent in was, and like the vast majority of listeners would be young teenagers. Some would be early twenties, mid twenties, late twenties. And a lot of people are asking like when it comes to training, say when it, it comes to weights, whether it's bench press, whether it's squat, whether it's your deadlift, whatever it may be. Like I found even myself like reading these questions, like, when that person hits that wall, because I, I remember, and I'm sure you do as well, Adam, when you start out lifting weights, you go from your five kilo dumbbells, curls or bench, and they fly up. Before you know it, you're lifting crazy weights and the progression is absolutely incredible. But then the older and stronger you get, you know, those those increases get slower and slower and you got to work twice as hard to get that extra 1.25 or 2.5 on the barbell. But like say when someone is, and a lot of my friends are in the same boat when they train, like when you no longer see those numbers going up on your bench or your squats, like is there, are you you one of the type of people that would be like less is more in this type of case? Or is there a very specific type of training that is required to increase strength and get, as you said, those extra plates on the barbell? Well, I would, I, I, first of all, this question is a bit nuanced and I would, I would first ask back to the, the kid, right? Like, you know, how, how, and, and why is it so important that we bench squat and deadlift so much? Um, I, I took my body aesthetically to some of the highest levels of, of I've ever seen without ever really deadlifting and squatting really heavy. So for the first half of my competing career, I wasn't even, deadlifting squatting or overhead pressing really or bench pressing anything heavy in fact for many years i couldn't even tell you what my max squat dead or bench was um, i was actually on the other side of the camp i was all about hypertrophy and if i was why would i lift anything less than five reps or chase a pr the risk is just too high the stress on the joints is just not worth it i'm not a power lifter 
No girl has ever asked me when I take my shirt off, how much do I bench? Like, why do I want to do that? Right. So I would first question that. And I really think that, you know, sport like CrossFit, right. Did some really, really good for uh, the population as far as introducing back barbell lifting. I mean, barbell Mm. lifting was dead for a long time and it's so important and there's so much value to it. And I really attribute a lot of that to CrossFit. But I also, you know, there's the other side of that coin that I blame CrossFit for all this PR chasing. You know, this has become such a, a major conversation in the fitness space that never existed when I first started. Like nobody talked about, it was unless you were like a strong man or a power lifter, no one really gave a shit about, you know, your PRs. Like this whole PR thing, it got exaggerated with, and now everybody's chasing that and they, they hang on to that so much. Like you, there's many ways to progress. That's just one way to progressively overload the body is to increase the weight. You can progressively overload the body. Many, in fact, we did an episode, I think nine ways to progressively overload the body and talked all about other ways to show progression and, and change and improvement in your physique. So just because you, you increase weight, it's, it's not always the best strategy, especially when you've been lifting for a really long time. In fact, this got me in a lot of trouble because I saw tremendous results when I met Sal and Justin who love to strength train. And I never, I never trained like that. I never trained triples and doubles and they kept telling me, like, you should really try and push the barbell weight and just see what it does for your physique. And they were right. Yeah. Because I never trained that way, I started deadlifting heavy. Like, I never did that and squatting heavy. And it, it put size on my legs and back like it never did before. Now, like the mistake that most of these young kids get, they see that and they get excited with that. And I, too, even in my 30s, started chasing that a lot. And then guess what happened after that? All the hip shit, all the knee shit, all the shoulder shit. That's the the hard part about lifting really heavy and hard like that all the time or chasing after PRs is it comes with these these aches and pains and injuries too because it's it's high risk, high reward. Yeah. So I would urge the young kid who's concerned that, oh my God, I've been training for five years. I can't get my bench, my squat, my deadlift to go. So what? Unless you're powerlifting and you got to go to a, a meet and prove that you went up another 10, 15 pounds, so what? Get better at your mobility. Get better at your speed. Get better at your technique. Learn a new movement. There's fucking millions of them. You know, you ever done a Turkish get up before? You ever done a windmill? You ever done a movement like that that's extremely valuable that you've never done before? Go practice and get good at that. You know, go challenge yourself with all unilateral training for six months to a year. Like, there's so many other modalities and so many other ways to progressively overload the body that I would challenge the kid that's chasing that PR that just cares about breaking the plateau. Unless you're a powerlifter, there's a whole other conversation. If I'm talking to somebody who has a meet coming up and I need to help them break through plateaus, that's very sport specific. But if you're the general population who just want to be strong, look good, feel good, then don't get hung up on the PR thing. No, and well said, and like I, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't a part of that clan. Like I still like from a progressive overload point of view, that's how I view training. But I wouldn't get myself pigeonholed into it. Purely has to be. I judge my health and fitness. I judge my program, and on if I get a PB this month. Like if I feel better, if my mobility, my ankle mobility is better, that's progression enough for my, me. Let's keep improving that and. I think it's important you did mention that that there's a hell of a lot more ways to progress, whether it's a number beside your bench, whether it's, as you said, mobility type of things. It's a different type of training as well. Like, are you getting fitter? Is your cardio improving, et cetera, et cetera. So I do think it is important, especially in the modern day, to know that there is more than just one way of challenging yourself and kind of measuring yourself month by month due to your programming and if it's successful or not. Right. Well, and let's be, I'll even be more specific, right? So you, I would ask this kid this, I would say, what is more impressive? The, the, the kid who has been stuck at squatting, you know, uh, 300 pounds for a long time because he's been, he's been training for a long time. He's stuck, he's stuck at 300 pounds. He can't break through a PR. He finally breaks through and he goes to, he gets to 310 or, that same kid who decides to regress the weight, 
decide I'm going to work on mobil- hip mobility and ankle mobility more. And he now can squat six inches deeper, but he's only doing 225. Well, who progressed better? Or who did, who, did, who, who, who did the better thing? Or who's winning more there? I mean, that you got to ask yourself stuff like that. Like, hmm. okay, just adding five or ten more pounds of the bar to say I can squat more weight, I mean, that's an ego thing. But if we want to talk about really improving the body, I'll, I'll take the kid who dropped his squat six more inches deeper and is doing less weight as actually progressing better than the kid who added ten more pounds to his squat, even though he's doing less weight. So, you know, there's other things that, that – and, and by the way, that, that kid who got that six extra inches of range of motion in his squat may actually end up developing better legs because he's now, dry, he's now working those legs over a greater range of motion, which should build more muscle, even with lighter weight. So sometimes we get so caught up in this, this chasing the personal best, like you said, that you can have a personal best. Maybe the personal best is just different. This is my personal best. I've never squatted this deep with this much weight before, right? No, and I get that. And I, I suppose the last thing I just want to ask you about, Adam, and it certainly ties into what we were talking about there is – and a few people who knew you were coming on wanted to ask it as well because, as you said, with Instagram, with social media, with every magazine you pick up, there's a – and even during quarantine, we know this better than most – is in four weeks, get shredded. In two months, be ready for summer, whatever it may be. This ab workout will get you abs in two months, et cetera, et cetera. And why do you feel like – I know there's obviously a lot of – poor communication or advertising or mixed messages being sent out. But why do you feel in fitness? And I, I, this is my own perspective. You can disagree if you want. Absolutely. Like there really does seem to be a, a me versus you culture when it comes to training. Like when you see the top athletic coaches, they have their very specific way. And then you look at another, say, athletic coach, he'll have his own way. Like, why is there just such a difference between so many coaches, so many fitness models, so many f- trainers? Like, why is that divide there? Like, there really should be a common goal to make everyone healthier and more fit. But it always seems that the next trainer is just trying to get a step up on the previous one. That's because it's like marketing 101. We see that in politics too, right? Divide and conquer. Mm. You know, if we if we draw a line in the sand and say my way is better than your way or my beliefs and political views is better or more righteous or the better way to run the economy than your way, it's really a way to get get control, to get sales, to get people on one side or the other. It's literally just it's that's all it is. The unfortunate part about it when you talk about fitness is just that there's so much room for everybody to eat like. If everybody that was a fitness consultant, trainer, coach right now, um, whatever their desire was revenue-wise to make, if we all actually got the percentage of people that were not working out and exercising to work out, we would all be fed and there would be leftovers. Like There's so many people that need to be reached. But what, we, what I see is this: all these fitness people, and they're really competing for – the wrong people. They're competing for the the ten percent or less that are already fitness fanatics. You know, this is and by the way, this is a lot of the reason why Mind Pump is I think had so much success is that we're trying to communicate a message that attracts the people that are not working out right now, the ones that are not that don't love to exercise, that don't love to follow a meal plan, that don't. The, the average person that just they want to feel better and want to be healthy like they want they and they want to live live a, a, a vibrant long life and they respect that nutrition and exercise plays a role in that those are the people we're most interested in in educating because they represent 80 percent of the population the rest of the fitness industry is trying to fight over the 20 percent or less right or 10 percent or less whatever i said it's a very small percentage of people that are consistent and they're because and the way you know that that's who they're fighting over is because the conversations they're having they're 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 fighting over semantics they're arguing over the latest study they're they're debating over their modality burning x amount more calories than somebody else's or their programming to build you know a fraction more muscle are you kidding me that's is that your mom or my mom or your your aunt (laughs) or your uncle do you think they gave a shit about that 
Mm. I don't give a shit about that. Those are the wrong people you're trying to get. And so it's, it's made all these trainers and coaches competitive and competing for the, the super per, the, the super fitness person already, the person who's reading all those articles, the person that wants to know the best way or the best food or the best program, like, and they want to they debate over all that stuff, and they spend half of their day reading articles like that and following these people on Instagram. That's, not the, that's such an illusion. That is not most people. That is not a majority of the population. A majority of the population don't give a fuck about any of that. They just want to, they just want to know what they should be doing and they want and you want to know they want to know the least amount of work they need to do to get there. They don't want they don't want to jump through hoops. They don't want to do creative weird shit. They don't want to have to do extra work. They want to know what are some simple things that I can do in my life that is going to have a long-term impact. And that's what we spend our time talking about and there's so many people those people that need that to help that we don't feel competitive with anybody. I don't have a desire or a need to put down somebody else's advice or information because you there's so many people for us to help. But the reason why I think this space is like that is because they don't realize that. They're talking, they're in an echo chamber. They're talking to the same people that are bouncing around to all these different fitness professionals trying to figure out who's more right. You know, I just got into a battle with somebody. I don't know if you pay attention or follow us on Instagram. But, you know, this real smart guy, uh, his Instagram handle is lift, lift, run, bang, I think is what it is. <laughs> and uh, smart dude, right? He writes for T Nation, which I love. I like T Nation a lot, mm. right? So, and, I, and I respect the dude. The dude's a smart guy. But he, did, he posted out this thing that was regarding um, squatting deeper than uh, 90 degrees, is pretty much worthless if your goal is to the, get the most development in your quads, right? Yeah. So I had a problem with that. And the problem I have with that is that he's not scientifically wrong, but the message that you're promoting to the masses, I think this guy's got 90,000 followers or something like that. He's got a big following. The message that you're promoting to people is that, they don't need to work on a deeper squat if you if you care about the and why I don't like that is that 25, 25 year old me would have loved to hear that would love to hear someone tell me like oh I don't need to work on getting a deeper squat because I don't care about just squatting deeper I want bigger quads and if this is the way to bigger quads then why would I do that I'm wasting my time and that's a terrible message for people because what ends up happening is you lose the ability to squat past parallel if you don't ever do it. And if you don't, if you can't do it already and you don't work towards it, it's only going to get worse as you get older. So, but yet he's presenting scientific information that is true, but is really bad, you know, and then it turns into this debate of who's more right. You know, am I more right for saying that you should work on squatting deeper or is he more right because he's talking to people who want to build their quads and, I just that's the that's the problem with our space is you've got really intelligent minds out there that all they care about is being more right instead of really am I helping more or less people by this statement? And we try and think about that when we put out content or we say something. Is it like am I more right than this other guy or is my study better, you know, or I'm am I on the most cutting edge research in regards to this topic? No, I don't give a shit about that. What I think about when I say something or I promote a message is when I think about how many, you know, well, thousands or millions now of people that are listening to us, what is the majority of them going to get from that message? And, and, and is it going to improve most of their lives? And if I can say yes to that, then I feel good about the message I'm presenting. But I ask myself that always before we present anything. And I really think a lot of these fucking egomaniacs don't do that. All they give a shit about is trying to look smart and they look for mm. places that they can put down other people or shit on their information in pursuit of being the smarter guy. Instead of thinking, what am I doing by saying something like this? And how many fucking kids that are watching and listening to me right now even understand the nuances that I'm talking about right now? You're talking about super high level biomechanics and, uh, and physics and you're, you think some 23 year old kid who just wants to look buff? can unpack what the fuck he's saying. No, but all he does is he goes, wow, this guy looks really buff. 
He sounds hella smart, and he argues with these other guys. I'm going to listen to him. And that just irritates the shit out of me that you've got people in our space that are more concerned about their own goddamn ego than the, the community or the people that are paying attention to them. And that's what's wrong, man. That's what's wrong with the space. And it's it's really unfortunate. But at the same time, too, it only fires me up for a moment because I also recognize that that's why there was so much opportunity for us to come and build Mind Pump was there was an opportunity in our space because so many knuckleheads fall in that, fall in that category of trying to be more right instead of truly trying to help people. And that's not our mission. Our mission yeah. isn't I'm going to try and see if I can battle with every PhD and prove I'm the smartest one out there. It's I've got a lot of experience helping a lot of fucking people. And I know what information confuses them and what information really helps them long-term lifestyle-wise and that's the shit that I want to convey. Well said. Well, no, Adam, that, that more or less wraps it up from my end. Uh, there is a small matter of a quick fire round that only only takes two or three minutes uh, just to power through here. So if you're willing to, I can get asking. Do it. Let's do it, man. So your favorite film of all time? Ooh, film or villain? Would you say film? Oh, film, movie, yeah. Film. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a Few Good Men. Okay. Uh, the worst, well, actually, you've probably given this, but the, if you could do a quick quote or whatever, the worst advice you see being given in your line of work. Uh, I actually think that just focusing on calories in versus calories out is is some of the worst advice that's true that's out there. And you see a lot of that, to be fair. That's um, right. Your favorite book of all time. Oh, man, that's a freaking hard one. Um I tell you what, the the power by uh, the or the forty eight laws of power by Robert Greene is. I'm looking at it right now on, on my uh, nightstand. I've read through that one a few times. That one's got to be up there. The craziest thing you've ever seen in a gym? <laughs> wow, dude, there's a lot of crazy shit yeah. I've seen in the gym. Um, I saw this this lady one time. Uh, she was about a three hundred pound three hundred pound plus lady that was uh high on i think crystal meth or crack like really really high and she was using the equipment like crazy and all right and there was there was a, a, a bench press machine that was right in front of the mirrors and she was using the uh machine she had her hands on the machine and then she was walking her feet up the mirror <laughs> and it was the crazy the fa- i was first impressed with her ability to be able to hold her weight in that place but if you can imagine the look on all of our faces as we're watching this you know 350 pound lady <laughs> suspend herself in air with walking her feet up our mirror and wedging herself between that and uh she ended up we called the cops we and the cops and firefighters showed up and she uh she ran into the pool area room and jumped in the jacuzzi and uh, refused to get out. And the cops kept saying, you have to get out, you have to get out. And they were trying to get her to, to climb out. And she kept dunking her head under the water like she was going to drown herself if someone tried to force her out. And then she tore off all of her clothes so nobody wanted to come in and grab her. So it's probably one of the craziest scenes I've ever seen in the gym. Yeah. Whatever pre-workout she took, I'd like some. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, right? <laughs> and last but not least, guest finds this the toughest to answer. Uh, describe yourself in three words. Describe myself in three words. Uh, focused, visionary, humble. Brilliant. Well said. Um, well, Adam, listen, I, I thank you so much for obviously the honesty, the the time you've given. Uh, I've been looking forward to this ever since we've you know, penciled it in. So I want to thank you for being so open and honest um, just about your life and all you've learned from it. Um, if anyone wants to check you out, um, do you want to give a quick quick update as to what you're doing currently? I'll leave, all, obviously, all the links in below if people want to check you out. But if you want to give them a quick... Yeah, I always, I always drive people to all of our free stuff first. So if this is the first time you ever heard me, um, I'll never pitch you on buying anything from me. Go, go consume all of our free content. We have tons. You know, We have over 1,500 podcast episodes that you can find on every single platform from itunes spotify google play you name it um go go take up all that content and it's a lot of content so we also have a free app 
Mind Pump Media, so you can search specific topics. So a lot of things that we covered just now on this interview, if you want to know more details and information and studies to support a lot of the stuff we talk about, we get into that on shows. All you have to do is go to the app, search the topic. You can find it right there. We have two YouTube channels. We have one that's dedicated all to exercises and form and technique. That's uh, Mind Pump uh, TV. And then we have the Mind Pump podcast is also on YouTube. So if you want to watch us and you want to see video form, uh, we do giveaways on there every single day for free stuff. Go check it out there. We also have a website, mindpumpfree.com. That's full of uh, guides and white papers, everything from you know building muscle to losing body fat to increasing your testosterone naturally to even being a better coach as a trainer. Um, those are all free guides that you can download from us. That's at mindpumpfree.com. Um, and then we have tons of blog, blog articles. We write about 7 to 14 blogs every week uh, that go up. You can find that out at the mindpumpmedia.com, that, that website. Subscribe to the blogs that you really like. Um, and just take advantage of that. I mean, our goal when we started this was to present more free, valuable content than anybody else in the space. And so uh, we're still on that mission and um, we've got a long ways, but we still got a long ways to go. And um, I highly recommend that you take advantage of all the free stuff. As I said, anyone interested in that, I'll leave the links below. And yeah, as Adam said, it's it's pretty much my Bible when it comes to looking for answers or even if you want to see good guests like Joe DeFranco, etc. They're all in there. So um, do not be shy. But listen, Adam, I want to thank you again and listen, all the best with the future and look forward to seeing what's next. Thank you, brother. Hey, when you uh, when this goes live, shoot me over a message. I'll make sure to push it out on my end. Will do, will do. Thanks, Adam. All right, brother.